ladies and gentlemen. This week, every day on Cabin Devos, we are publishing an episode at 9 p.m. These are interviews and conversations that have been had with friends on our shores that I believe will bless you. This coming Sunday, on the 20th of November, we are having Elena and all her single friends coming to explain to us why they fear to commit. We shall discuss fears singles have concerning marriage. Some are legit fears. They are problems that married people now cannot escape, while others are baseless fears. Enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Cabin Devils. My name is David, and tonight I'm going to be joined by David Chilavira as we talk about leadership and how it has evolved. It's it's amazing that we talk about these things. And uh, when we first brought up this topic, David mentioned and said, why don't you call someone else who uh, better understands this topic? And of course, I don't know anyone else who better understands this topic. David has been studying leadership uh, for quite a long time. Yaku referred to that uh, several times in the service. And tonight, we are going to be joined uh, by him and... Uh, just to talk about how leadership has evolved, um, I'm really waiting to see or to hear uh, some of the wisdom he's going to be sharing with us. David Shabira is a director of World of Life Uganda and has been in ministry for quite a while. Um, he was my first uh, camp counselor, my, the first camp I attended. This was at Tiber High School so many years ago. Um, if I told you the years, you would think I'm very old, but yeah. I'm not that old. Actually, Gochelia Maria, who has just joined us on the show, was a camper in that same camp with uh, Chivaya Nelson, uh, who is a very good friend of mine. Chivaya looks way younger than I am, but we were in the same camp together. Actually, I was just talking about that this week uh, with him. And some of the things I do remember about that camp is going up and down that hill, Tiber. Uh, high school was the name of that school then. Um, just jogging up to Entebbe Road and then going back down to the uh, to the school, singing the song uh, from Matthew six thirty three. Very very early early memories um, in that in that sense. It, it feels like yesterday. And today we are talking about how leadership has joined, but again, I mean, has evolved. But we are joined by several others here. L, thank you so much for coming in. Um, L, there's a show we are going to be doing together. I'll be letting you and the listeners uh, into what that will look like. It's about marriage. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be this coming Sunday or the Sunday after, but L, great and great to see you. Lindsay, it's been quite a while. Um, I've only been following you, stalking you on social media uh, and WhatsApp status, but great to see you. Katie, glad that you're here. Joel. Uh, Santa Sana. Esther Balo is also here with us. And uh, of course, we do have JB uh, as well. Trisha and uh, Ivan Mukisa. We, in talking about leadership, it's going to get a bit awkward And I'm, I'm for David. Why? Because David is an active leader. I'm going to be asking very, very personal questions. And uh, yeah, it's some of you who know David, please just hang in there. Today, He's coming to us to talk to us as friends. Um, and I know it's very, very difficult to separate him from who he is as a friend, but also as a leader. Let me ask David to call in as we begin our time together. David, I can see you have joined us. Please call in as we begin this kind of difficult topic on leadership and uh, bold statement how leadership has evolved and why you might be getting it wrong. 
Let me read for you something that uh, I I sent David uh, at some point uh, this week. We're talking about leaders, we're talking about employees, and eventually we're going to merge all of this together with Christian leaders. And of course, we do have politicians, especially in Uganda. There are some type of leaders as well, um, and, and they try to do it by leading masses national-wide and trying to please everyone. And so let's not try and mix the two. Uh, But again, looking at leadership in general, this was an article on Forbes. Let me see if I can find the date. Uh, This was December 9th, 2013, by someone called Glenn. Um, And they wrote concerning why leaders cannot be trusted uh, or it's difficult to trust leaders. Actually, the acute is seven reasons employees don't trust uh, their leaders. And today we're looking at the fact that leadership has evolved, has evolved because they're asking for so much. They are asking for so much. I'm talking about those following. I'm talking about expectations of leaders. But reason number one here is lack of courage. Leaders that don't stand up for what they believe in are difficult to respect and trust. Too many leaders today battle the gulf between assimilation and authenticity. They waste too much of their valuable time trying to act like other leaders in the organization rather than attempting to establish their own identity and leadership style. This is why less than 15% of leaders have defined and leave their personal brand. Of course, talking about the fact that they don't stand up for what they believe in. And number two, seven reasons. Number two, leaders that are too politically surveyed can be viewed as devious and inauthentic. Number two is hidden agendas. Employees want to follow leaders who are less about the politics and more about how to accomplish goals and objectives. I find that strange because politicians and in courts or political leaders want to please everyone. But it sounds like employees want to follow leaders who are less about the politics and more about how to accomplish goals and objectives. While being politically surveyed is important, leaders must be careful not to give their employees the impression of orchestrating hidden agendas. I'm reading only the first paragraph. Number three, reason number three why leaders and not trusted or it's difficult to trust them is self-centered. Hidden agendas make it difficult to trust that a leader's intentions and decision-making are not self-centered. When a leader is only looking out for themselves and lacks any sense of commitment to the advancement of their employees, this shuts off employees quickly. David, we've only covered three of these. I, and I, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a lot of expectations that are coming in uh, from from this particular article. Why you're not supposed to be self-centered? You're supposed to take care of everyone else's needs, and uh, you're supposed to stand up for what you believe in, which means making difficult decisions. Those decisions cannot please everyone. Um, I'm reading a lot of books on startups, and there's a warning where you be, when you start becoming more than ten, a team of ten trouble begins to to set in um, very quickly because everyone wants your attention. Every decision must please everyone. You cannot please 20 people. You're not omnipresent. Weddings are happening, deaths. There's, uh, people are giving birth and you're expected to be there. You're not supposed to be self-centered. You have a family. There are children who are pulling your leg as well. Don't go, daddy, don't go. And there are those who are asking you, where are you? You're late for a meeting. Hey, how 
Number one, Devi, are you able to manage all these things? And in just thinking about leadership, where do we start in helping some of the leaders who might be listening in tonight and are concerned that they may not be the kind of leader that they ought to be? Devi. Okay. Um, that, that's a uh, good evening, everyone. And uh, that's a very loaded question, David. Um, but, you know, the, the different things that you said, they, they were loaded with uh, so many expectations. Um, but one thing that stands out, uh, I, I think, is uh, this, the false assumption that leadership is static. You know, everything else in the world changes, everything else in the world revolves and, and you know, has, has changed. Technology has changed. You know, we, we moved from uh, using rudimentary tools like rocks and sticks, and now, you know, we're using very sophisticated tools. But we're expecting leadership to, to be static and be the same. So the, the, the different things that you pointed out, you know, the expectations of courage, uh, you know, authenticity and, and, and you know, how, how things should happen, those are expectations. Now, different generations would define courage differently. Uh, different generations would describe authenticity differently. And so we find ourselves at a situation where, and especially today's organization, and I can tell you, uh, even the organization that I, I, I am responsible for has different generations. And um, you're going to see probably the leaders having different expectations of what they, 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 they have of themselves, the different standards that they have of, of their leadership and what is required. And the people that they lead are also in different so I think that's where the problem is. Um, we, we have um, different generations with different definitions of what courage is, different definitions of what openness is, different definition of what collaboration is. And then each one of us comes into this thing called organization or company or society with our different expectations of what leadership should be. Uh, as influenced by our generations and we bring it into onto the table and you find a just discrepancy there's a book i was reading that defined it that right now we exist in the tower of bubble of organizations different expectations different language when when a baby boomer talks about you know courage uh, and a courageous leader is one that is you know not emotional very strong and you know is able to go through things without showing any iota of emotion a younger person when they describe courage you will be surprised that that is someone who's courageous enough to be open and share their emotions and share you know the struggles that they're going through so the problem that we see even as as is outlined by you know different authors that you quoted there you know, how leadership has lost authenticity and how they are not courageous and how they I think it's just different glasses that are being used to evaluate leadership and what is expected of leadership. So, and, 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 and I hope for us to be looking at that, uh, at how we arrived at that. You do make a very valid point, uh, David. Um, and it's interesting that, yes, courage has been redefined, especially in uh, times like now, thinking about our leaders today, um, my mom would get a different picture definitely of courage when it talks about mm -hmm. leaders, uh, maybe having witnessed a couple of wars uh, in, in there. You know, I was just thinking about that. Now, this is off topic. Um, mm -hmm. That my mom, 
<laughs> these guys were born when Uganda was getting its independence. When for mm. us, this is something we started about uh, in history. Sorry if you're on this show and you were born when Uganda was getting its independence. But I know that those were different times. And then someone posted a picture uh, of the, it's called Lyland, one of those buses that <laughs> was, I think, stuck mm. on a very Maram road years ago. <laughs> and, and that was mm. public means. And today, probably that road is stomached and speed limit is 80. And mm. this is what these guys grew up knowing as, as the country. And the country has changed. And so even for children who might be defining a loving father, is one who leaves home and has left Wi-Fi or the Wi-Fi password. That's a loving father. While for us, a loving father is one who returns home on his bike with something, Kawalagala uh, probably in, uh, I don't know if you remember this, in uh, Banana Leaves. And Kawalagala mm. was actually had chili and it had a small bite. We call it a bite, Kawalagala Omrumeko. Mm. That was a loving father. And it's true that with generations, these things change. How does... Because the other thing is most leaders today are of a particular age in terms of mm -hmm. um, just a, an age bracket. And you did a survey, we did a survey at World of Life and we found out majority of, of, of our staff are millennials, majority. And there was mm -hmm. a couple of uh, Generation X on the very tiny, tiny bit. And of course they are part of the leadership without mentioning names um, mm -hmm. or referring to you in any way or another. How are you able to um, evolve, let's put it that way, evolve and be two kinds of people in two different generations, having grown up differently and now realizing that the people you're leading uh, are thinking differently and they're rightly so in, in that <coughs> sense. We shouldn't expect someone who is 20 to think like a 60 year old and assume a war mm. to define a leader as courageous because they have fought, yet they've not experienced war uh, in that sense. Devi? That, that's an interesting um, question, and it's a very important question that I think uh, most organizations need to have. I, I think this needs to lead us to a dialogue. Um, you, you see, your, your question assumes that it's the leaders, you know, the older leaders that need to uh, adjust to you know the emerging group of millennials and Generation Z, that the, the biggest adjustment has to be made by the leaders. But I, I am of the opinion that there must be you know a movement from both sides. Um, in one, recognizing the fact that uh, you know leadership is not static and leadership is changing. The society has changed. The dynamics have changed. The needs have changed. Uh, you know, what needs to be accomplished has changed and the followers have changed as well. Um, so leadership needs to make some steps forward, but also the people that are being led or the followers also need to make some steps. And here are the adjustments that need to be made. Uh, one, in understanding that any organization at any particular moment has different types of generations represented in it. And for a particular situation uh, right now, um, you would have the older people probably who are at the top achillion of, of, of leadership. Uh, these are people who have been exposed to the traditional uh, style of leadership. And, um, you know, uh, that is authoritative, that is supposed to be charismatic, you know, the big man syndrome, the powerful. And some of us grew up seeing that as what leadership is. And some of us grew up seeing that as the ideal leadership. 
So when I come into leadership, my tendency is to try and replicate that. I saw it work in the past generations, and my assumption is that it's going to work right now. And then you, you have a, a younger generation that has been exposed to different types of leadership, either through the literature that they have read, the movies that they have seen, and, and you know the games that they have played, and, and that's the expectation of leadership. So here's where I say there needs to be movement and a dialogue needs to be had uh, in, in all the generations represented in the organization. One, the younger generations to understand this is where our leaders are from and they're coming from, and this is why they're doing things this way. And I think the onus is also on the leaders to, to have that open dialogue and say, listen, this is, this is what I saw, being vulnerable in other words, and saying, this is what I grew up knowing, and I expect you, the younger ones, to help me to know how to lead you. Uh, so the younger ones need to understand and not quickly judge you know, the older ones and call them traditionalist and, and, and realistic, but the older ones also need to be vulnerable to know, listen, there's better ways of leading and willing to adjust and learn. So there, there has to be movement uh, on, on both sides. But I think that movement can only be made if people are, you know, um, open and, and then ask themselves, listen, we have a journey to take. What is the best way to take on to this journey? Not each generation insisting on, 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 you know, on, on what they believe to be leadership, on, on the expectations that they have. And, and I think that's where the, there is a, a paralysis uh, when each generation and each group within uh, society or the organization is insisting on there. And we can see it being played out in the, in the bigger arena of our, of our nation. We have a younger generation that has different expectations, predominantly uh, represented by NOOP, and then we have the older generation um, you know, presented by the older parties, the DPs, the UPC, the, you know, partly NRM. NRM, I think, is a blend of both. And, and you can see that tension and, and, and that parallel. They, they don't understand each other. Um, but I think that can be sorted out uh, through dialogue and people understanding uh, where they are and done to move forward. It's interesting you're talking about moving from both ends, the traditional or the older leaders, um, of course, uh, explaining that they've seen it work. Um, I've been around World of Life for quite a while, and there are things I would say I have seen work. I'm confident camp works. <laughs> and and uh, it's it's interesting that you can't convince me otherwise. Um, mm. I, I mean, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm confident that soccer marathons work. I am confident you cannot go wrong um, when you share the gospel directly. And the younger ones will tell you Instagram works. Um, share the gospel there. Share the verse there. When you get a couple of likes, it's, it's making sense. And there's a, there's a sense in which there is the old tradition, and I'm going now back to the biblical principles of leadership that do not mm. seem to be moved in one way or the other. Um, the way Moses led men until today are still writing leadership books in relation to his lifestyle. The way Christ led still stands. Um, how do you reconcile those two? Uh, talking about Christian leadership, the fact that these principles that are engraved in stone 
Um, when it talks about love, when it talks about courage, there's one definition. When it talks about standing up for what you believe in, we're talking about standing up for biblical values um, and, and corruption. And uh, today you refer to it as a service when you hear someone say, this is Uganda, you know what the next statement is going to be. <laughs> you, this is Uganda, you know what the next statement it's, it's just they're expecting you to... Uh, to part with a little something. Uh, when, they, when, they, when the policeman asks you for water, they, it's not that they are thirsty. Um, you know exactly what they mean. But the definition to standing up to integrity, that has not changed. Um, caring for those you love, that has not changed. I'm always reminded of David when they were fighting and, and his men, when he simply said, I'm thirsty, and his men, uh, of course, fought through the battle, went and got him water, they brought it and refused to drink it. They said, I'll be drinking your blood if I did. That guy loved his men, um, literally to death. He's right there with them. Um, of course, there are moments when he got into trouble, when he sent them to war. But you see incidences where when you talk about a leader, it's one who was there in the mud. Um, and, and there's an article you sent me uh, this past week um, that seems to describe leaders who are uh, Maybe uh, to use a bit, they, they, they're just engrossed in in writing policies uh, and and are disconnected from the day to day operations of of the business of the organization. And that's not what we see in the scriptures. We see people who are involved, and those things don't change. Those things define good leadership. They define. Uh, in quotes, bad leadership, because I just read another article you just sent me that there's no such thing as bad leadership, but that's another day. But how do you reconcile <laughs> biblical principles not changing? Um, mm. and, 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 and yet you're saying we need to take a step because the traditional mm. leaders will use that as an excuse. These things have been mm. and they will always be. Mm. Uh, and yet the younger ones are saying, man, things have changed. Um, someone else uh, did a number on the younger leaders and it says because they have listened to a podcast now they think they can lead that was not nice but <laughs> that's because I listened to podcasts and <laughs> but how do you reconcile those two Devi? Biblical principles that don't change and, and, and the need for leaders to evolve Devi okay that's, that's a good question David um, um, and I wish everybody else here had taken the uh, the source one course, which begins with biblical principles at the bottom. And then on biblical principles, you build a philosophy of life or a philosophy of leadership. And then from a philosophy of leadership or, um, you know, life, you build a purpose, you know, a purpose of leadership. And then from the purpose of leadership, you come up with a program of leadership. And in your question, um, if you notice, you probably confuse the two, biblical principles and a biblical program. Biblical principles do not change. Biblical program changes. Moses used a different biblical program to lead the people from Egypt to the promised land. Um, and, and, and the next guy, Joshua, comes in. He uses the same biblical principles, but, you know, presenting people to God and, you know, leading in accordance to God's agenda. That stays the same, but his program changes. You know, you bring in David, all these people, you bring in Daniel, you know, who is in a foreign land, his program is different and he's going to lead differently. Uh, you bring in, you know, Joseph as well. Whether he's in prison, the principles remain the same. Whether he's in Potiphar's wife, the principles are the same way. He's in the palace, principles are the same, but the program is different. 
So yes, um, <clears throat> the Bible does give us biblical principles, and those are timeless. You know, for example, if you go to Romans 13, it gives us a broad brush of what the principle is. In Romans 13, where it talks about, you know, um, people being subject to authority, it talks about a broad brush of the, the leader is a minister, okay? He's a minister of God. And later on, it says he's a servant of God. Now, notice it, it leaves it broad. It is up to you now in our context, in our generation, to, to figure out what does it mean to minister to today's millennial. It may not mean the same thing to minister to someone in the, in the, in the 40s or in the 60s. So the program changes, but the, the, the principles stay the same. That a leader is there is, is to, to lead God's people, whether it's in the secular world or in the ministry world, on behalf of God. And um, to understand that principle, but also to figure out and understand that the program is going to be different in different ages and, and different eras and in different situations. Uh, just like I broke down for you uh, with Moses, with Joshua, with David, with you know Daniel, Joseph, and all these leaders. And actually, when you look at Jesus Christ, he does the same thing. You know, the Pharisees were so rigid. They, they, they thought the biblical principles is equated to the biblical program. And so they were so rigid about the program. You know, the, the last week when we had our quiet time, they were rigid about the program of the Sabbath. And, and Jesus Christ, you know, takes them back to the principle. The principle of the Sabbath is for someone to take time and rest, not the program itself of just the Sabbath. So even as we talk about leadership, we need to figure out what are the irreducible, timeless principles for leadership and not confuse them to the changing program of leadership. And I think that's where sometimes we go wrong, even with the examples that we use of the Bible and you go to, you know, Moses did this and we, we, we develop a whole, um, you know, rigid and static. This is how Moses laid and he got the stick. So maybe that's why some pastors are beating up their flock, you know, and, 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 and we confuse the program. For example, Jesus at some point used the program of whipping the people who are selling things in, in the temple. Uh, is that a program we can use right now? Uh, was he demonstrating a principle? Um, so yes, there are uh, timeless principles that we can pick up uh, from the Bible in as far as leadership is concerned. But even as we do that, I think I need to say we need to exercise caution in making sure that we do not pick up the um, time-bound programs that are displayed within the Bible itself. I don't know whether I've answered your question um, in as far as the biblical principles is concerned. Yes, yes, you have. Uh, that was that was awesome. Um, Source one has always uh, been special uh, on my heart. Why? Because it doesn't matter what the topic is, whether it's marriage or friendship. That that sieve can be can be applied to anything. Biblical principles develop a biblical philosophy, um, and and yeah, purpose, program, and people. And people in the end, and and sometimes we begin off with a program. And even in discussing this show, we were starting off with a program, what the leader must do, and not necessarily thinking about who they must be. Kind of reminds me of that question of chicken and the egg. Can a leader be made or are they born? Um, and I don't know what the answer is to that, but 
there's another one I heard, David, maybe you'll help us uh, put it in context. And I tend to agree with him when he says the scriptures have not called us to make leaders. We've heard of leadership development in Christian organizations, even in churches. And he says, mm. the Bible has not called us to make leaders. He simply called us to make disciples. And I think they want to imply that a disciple, one that is mature, will definitely bear uh, the qualities of a leader. Thinking about uh, the pastor or a bishop and the qualifications, these seem to be mm. simply obedient Christians that are that 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 are described here. What do you have to say, David, concerning that that they've not been called? Is that an extreme statement to say the Bible has not called us to make leaders, but disciples? Or what do you think, David? I I agree with that. I mean, that's biblical. Um, the Bible calls us to make disciples of Christ, uh, followers of Christ. Um, but let me also just push this a little bit further and, and say this, that uh, the same Bible that talks about these disciples, it also recognizes that these disciples are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to enable the different disciples to be able to do different roles. Uh, for example, in, in, in the same group of disciples is going to be, you know, those who are inclined towards serving, there are those who are inclined towards administration, there are those who are inclined towards teaching, there are those who are inclined towards leadership. So not everyone is called towards leadership. So those that you identify to be inclined towards leadership, um, I think the onus is, is, is to go beyond making disciples of Christ and now taking them towards 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that you've had me do, identifying those leaders that can, you know, can learn from you. Uh, Jesus Christ did that with the disciples, right? He, he, he didn't call the whole of Jerusalem to follow him. He went around and, and picked out individuals that we later on see being the leaders and carrying out the ministry in the book of Acts. So, and not everyone that Jesus Christ preached to ends up being a leader. There are specific people. So yes and no, we are all called to make disciples of men, but not called to make everyone a leader. Uh, I think leadership has to be in tandem with the spiritual gifts that uh, people are given. And in, 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 there are those who subscribe to the notion that everyone can be a leader, um, and, and leadership is taught, uh, not born. Um, I, I think leadership within the Christian context is, is a result of being born again. Because you can be born naturally without leadership traits, but when you become born again and the Holy Spirit is able to enable you to be a leader, um, and, and I think that is something that can be uh, developed um, later on. But in our, in our modern day context, we sometimes confuse authority with leadership. There are people who, by virtue of um, you know, that designation, they have authority, and, and therefore, we begin to think because they have authority, therefore they are leaders. It's possible to have authority but not be a leader. Okay, but the reverse is also not true. You, you cannot be a leader who does not have authority. And and we we, we need not to confuse um, those those two. Leadership um, is given of God, and it needs to be developed. Uh, it needs to be nurtured. And once you identify young people that you can see have the gift of, of leadership. Uh, I think the onus is on the ones that are experienced, that are grown, uh, like Second Timothy 2, 2 uh, shows to help these other ones grow into their leadership within their context. And I think we also need to be careful. You know, I, I need to know that I grew up, 
in the older generation not to try and impose my leadership style and my leadership exposure onto this young person, but to allow them to grow uh, within the context of which God is going to call them to lead his people during their time and in their generation. I, I think it's Jack Watson that says it's the responsibility of each generation you know, to reach out to its own generation with the gospel of Christ. That statement is profound. In other words, it understands that each generation is going to be different. And therefore, it is our responsibility to empower the next generation to reach out uniquely uh, to its own generation with the unique dynamics that it has. Uh, and I think that requires us just passing on the principles that you talked on, being careful not to pass on the program that may be obsolete for the next generation. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Devi. Um, of course, that, that comes a lot of nerves um, in just understanding that it's the work of God. And I like how you just blew a hole in that philosophy. Leaders are not born uh, but made and say, you must be born again. And of course, that changes the trajectory of where we're heading and talking about Christian leadership. If you have any questions, those of us who are listening in, please go ahead and post it in the comments below uh, for David to be able to answer. And uh, I see here, Joel is saying, just thinking of the traditional man who was the leader in society and family, part of him showing courage was that a man does not cry or show emotions as a leader. But now the thought is different. Actually, holding back pain and emotion is termed as weakness. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen you cry in, in, the, in the staff devils. Maybe I missed mm. it, but you are saying something, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, that's just, um, it, it shows the, you see, the old leadership, and, and, and you know, mm. leadership has changed with the different eras. In the, the beginning eras of hunting and gathering and agricultural, you had to be bold, okay? You can't be leading a party to go hunting and then you see a lion and you start crying and you run away. That was not a sign of leadership. But now fast forward to a digital era where you don't have to hunt, you don't have to do anything, and, and people have interacted with innate objects. You know, you're, you're, you're interacting with a computer, you're interacting with machines. Now you need some form of humanness. And, and now the leader helps in their leadership by being vulnerable to, to, to show some human element and that's where now maybe crying or being vulnerable is exalted in this era as opposed to you know in the in in the agrarian hunting and gathering era so th th these things you know <laughs> the, it, 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 you can't wish them away you know you you can't you know try and and, and reason them away it, it's just part of what god has has done and created and and david for, for those who you know probably subscribe to a dispensational view of how God interacts with mankind, you can see that change. God has not interacted with mankind the same way in the different eras. So what makes us think that leadership is static? Why do we think for man it's going to be static and yet God has interacted with mankind differently in different times, in different ages? It's interesting that you look at it that way. When you see... And I've been reading Exodus and seeing how God led the Israelites. Um, mm. I mean, you see the cloud, you see fire, the, the sea is splitting, food is coming from heaven. Mm -hmm. And Elijah, I mean, there's all these chariots and 
and war taking place, Christ comes onto the scene and you see a different kind of leadership. And that, that's, that's really in quotes. You see one that is vulnerable to in the garden of Gethsemane. One is asking his own followers to stay and pray and asking them, Can you, can't you just stay awake a little longer? And you, you, see, you see the Savior being crucified. Um, and, and you see, of course, that opening up to the dispersion of grace. Uh, you're seeing forgiveness. You're seeing um, it's, it's interesting that, yes, he deals with us differently. And uh, good question, Devi. Why should we expect leadership, therefore, to stay the same? That's interesting. Um, let's go think about that. But I do see Pastor Patrick also says, yeah, it's interesting how we have leaders engaged in two extremes. The immortal one uh, uh, mm. does not... Uh, show emotions and the vulnerable one shows emotions. Um, mm-hmm. It's just interesting to just think about uh, those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devi, I want to switch a little bit um, to <sighs> talking about the different generations. Today, it's mm-hmm. very, very easy for a leader to be destroyed. You just have to post the wrong thing and you're done. Um, I forget his name, but I think he, he's the latest I've read about that just lost his uh, leadership position. And it's about an Instagram direct message with another lady. Um, mm-hmm. Messaging, not message, messaging. They just looked at his conversations and they realized, man, you've been flirting with this lady. I think it was an old uh, high school friend or something. The interesting part is even the wife knew that they were friends and they didn't think it was such a threat only to be revealed. And now we are looking at your inbox as the committee and we are deciding you cannot be a leader anymore. This is how you used your phone and you have been disqualified. And uh, with memes and things like that, I mean, talking about Elon Musk, the guy just took over Twitter by tweeting. It's, of course, he has the money. But by tweeting, he's able to make decisions. He's able to change a bargain. Uh, these guys are refusing to show him the true figures. They want to sue. And he ends up owning a whole company, literally on social media. And we are all watching just like that. In other words, your, someone's um, testimony can be ruined. And a leader can be built. Um, you know this guy from, I forget his country, but Cobb, the guy who just spreads his hands out. Uh, he lost his job um, during the pandemic, and now he's one of the um, crucial TikTokers and influencers on Instagram. Very rich guy. Now he's the guy is posing for Nike and, and brands just because of a phone. Um, and I saw another reason here why leaders cannot be trusted. And I want to just uh, maybe give some advice on how if something ever happens to any one of us listening in. It is said that when people begin to speak negatively about their leader, it makes it more difficult for others to trust their intentions and vision. For example, look at what happened to President Barack Obama since December 2009 when his approval rating was 69%. According to the reports, four years later, as of December 7th, Obama's approval rating was low to 43%, nearly a 30% decline, had created Mm. massive disruption to his reputation. And many who had followed him and supported him for years were now having trouble trusting him, um, just like that. 
because someone has said something, someone is discussing you on news and you're no longer trusted. These are reputational issues. And all it takes is for someone to say, oh, by the way, Chidavira has done this. And mm-hmm. people begin to look at you. You're there talking and they are not listening. Um, talking about gossip and rumors. How would you handle them? Because today they travel very quickly. They just have to show up. People quarrel on their WhatsApp statuses. Um, and you don't know they are quarreling at you because they just simply took a screenshot of a saying somewhere, but they're having beef with you. And before you know it, your reputation is ruined. Um, mm. Talking about leadership and how it has evolved, how would you help someone listening in tonight who finds themselves in that very difficult uh, place? Other leaders will take the fight back to social media and mm. yeah, it never ends well. It just never ends well. But what would you be a piece of advice, Davey? I think it's it's not the leadership that has changed. I think this, the, the the standards and the requirements, uh, especially within the Christian circle uh, context, the expectations of of a leader do not change. In as far as God is concerned, uh, must be a godly person, at least growing. We're not saying must be perfect. Um, I think the perfection um, element is is. Uh, imposed by by man i think growing in their walk and in their faith with christ and you know um uh, listening to christ i think those are expectations that uh, you know are non-negotiable um, what has changed is the expectations of the people that we lead um you know uh, it, it's surprising you know you, i think someone mentioned it's mark chandler there uh, that you're referring to the the greater society right now does not care about the morality okay um you know in our own city you know you you've seen how you know people who are leading churches and they're busy disparaging their wives calling them all sorts of names and divorcing their wives and then you drive by and you see their churches are much bigger than your your 20 or 50 people church and people are still flocking there so the expectations, yes, have changed. And, um, you know, the media has become, because this is a very visual uh, generation, uh, the media has become a very strong and powerful tool um, that can change things. And, and the person that controls the media or the narrative of the media in our current age seems to win the battle. I'll give you an example of Trump. Um, it didn't matter what Trump was doing. Uh, most sensible people would, would read into that and they say, man, this guy is crazy. But he had a following. You know, he had a following and, and people are still obsessed with him. He knew how to control. And the only way they could stop him from, you know, influencing more people is by taking him off Twitter. Okay. So we need to understand as leaders, especially in this era, that whoever controls the media, and especially the media that is able to go out there controls you know the narrative has more power and has more influence and and that media has the uh, the ability to you know to influence uh, social yes so i was saying that we we cannot uh take the media very lightly we we need to take it with the seriousness that it deserves uh it can be able to bring down leaders it can be able to bring up leaders by the way you talk about obama you realize Obama was a creation of the media. Um, Obama was a very obscure senator. You know, his biggest thing that he had done was visit Kenya. And then from Kenya, 
he went to to London and held this very huge rally. And then from that point onwards, he was a good story. He was a good personification of the American dream. And he was propped up uh, by the media and he ended up being, you know, president. Um, they tried the same experiment with, with Hillary, but it failed because, you know, Trump somehow was able to, to get a hold of, of, of the media. So the leader today cannot brush aside, um, you know, the power and the place of media, especially in this digital era. That is important for us to remember, the digital era. Um, you know, digital technology, you know, is a huge, huge part of, of leading. So what you put out there can end up breaking or making you as a leader. Um, what you put out there and how you use media can end up building your company or destroying your company or relegating your company to obsoleteness. Um, so, and that is still part of the, of the how, okay? It is still part of the how and how leadership is changing um, and, and, and how we need to take, make use of that. I've found leaders who say, you know, for me, I cannot be on Twitter. Those are, you know, informal. Those are young people think, my friend, you're going to be relevant. Probably three quarters of your people that you're leading are on that. Uh, you, you can see our president here, an old man, but, you know, the man every day is busy on Twitter uh, trying to get in touch with his bazukuru. Uh, because he knows the power and the influence of media. Wow. Um, we're coming to the end of our time, about 10 minutes uh, to the top of the hour. It's uh, Ivan has come out of the Kamoli and he's saying leadership in non-Christian environments is different. The motive is the advancement of the company agenda. Christian leadership is different. It's relational mm -hmm. and love and genuine concern is critical. And then uh, Pastor Patrick says the challenge today is we have ignored the character formation of leaders. We quickly uplift gifts even when the foundation is half-baked. Um, yes. That's, and, and, that's, and, and that's really, yeah. Just to add on to what uh, Pastor Patrick has shared there, you notice the problems that we face are not mm. problems of, you know, strategic planning, are not problems of, uh, you know, the, the, the giftings that they have, how they can speak so well. The problems that we face in society right now emanating from leadership is, is an issue of character. You know, whether it's in the secular world or in the, you know, in, in the Christian circles, you know, corruption is a character issue. It's not a gift issue. Um, you know, nepotism and all these things, brutality, the, 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 the lack of respect of human rights, and even within Christian circles, it is character that ends up affecting, you know, you, you, let me say, let me make a very bold statement here that is dangerous. I don't take it wholesale. But I think I would rather choose a leader who has character and, and, and begin to work slowly on their giftings, begin to develop them with the gifts, rather than having a gifted leader that lacks character. It's just going to destroy everything. You will experience short-term gains, but long-term you're going to deal with, with a plethora and generations of dealing with the problems that a gifted, uh, without character leader has, has left in the place. So that's a very important thing. And so those of us aspiring to be leaders, we, we normally rush into schools to learn the gifts, the hows, and forget the who. The Bible is very key on the who. Um, you, you notice First Timothy, when it's talking about you know, the characteristics, it's talking about the who. And the Bible usually talks about the who more than, you know, the gift and what they can be able to do. 
that is something that God can enable us to grow in. Ivan talks about the character of being relational, love and genuine. And of course, mm-hmm. in talking about the advancement of the company agenda, we want to assume, Ivan, that the Christian leadership or organization still have a biblical agenda. I mean, I don't see mm-hmm. anything wrong with reaching more people in this example. And of course, those leaders are making decisions based uh, on, on that particular vision that they believe God has called them to. Um, mm. in that sense. And those who are willing to follow in that vision are now what we would call the employees or the followers in this example who are willing to walk along with the leader. Um, talking about character, I'm going to get to what today has been referred to as inconsistent behavior. When you talk mm. about the changes, um, talking about character and talking about Christian leadership, um <laughs> I've seen and I've visited churches and you can you can sometimes see the chairs are the same from those days. Uh, mm. The sound is the same from those days. There doesn't seem to be much changing. But you mm. see some other places where the leaders seek to have, to be, to be relevant. They want to be relevant. They want to, uh, of course, change with, with, the, with, with the changing generations in terms of the program level. And in some circles, that can be considered inconsistent behavior. Um, uh, and, and even when you talk about change, and I've listened to you several times, you and most leaders today seem to bring up the pandemic. This, this mm. shocked everyone. I never knew Church of Uganda would be online. Um, and uh, those of us from All Saints, no offense, but I, that was difficult to imagine. But today we have the Church of Uganda online. Um, they, they had to take a leap of faith to make that particular change. And if they had anything against being online, I'm sure they had very long meetings uh, to make that decision. But they had to make it. And there are some, um, and I'm just assuming here, that there are some who could have been uh, disturbed by their churches moving a particular direction or even talking about masks. I, I read so much about churches making decisions based on masks in saying, yeah. some are saying, I'm not going back to church until everyone wears a mask. Others are saying, I'm not going back to church until we all stop wearing a mask. You imagine a pastor mm-hmm. listening to both of those arguments the same way, mm-hmm. and he has to make a decision. And now when he makes one, he's being considered inconsistent. And this is what the article says. People are more inclined to trust those who are consistent with their behavior. Isn't it easier to begin questioning one's motives, judgment when they are inconsistent? For example, I've worked with clients who appear to be on the same page only to notice that they begin to disconnect when they believe the direction of a project is not allowing them to mobilize their own agenda. In other words, when everyone but the leader is on board with the strategy, you begin to wonder if their intentions are to support the organization's advancement advancement, or their own. Leaders who are consistent with their approach and intentions are those who can be trusted. This is why so many leaders need to refresh their leadership style because they lose the trust of their employees. Devi, how do you make relevant changes without being labeled as inconsistent? And uh, I've heard you speak before, and one of the things you've emphasized is communication, communication, communication. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you talk to people in big organizations, they will still say communication is one of their biggest challenges. But how Mm -hmm. do you make relevant 
decisions, especially when things are changing and try and stay away from being considered inconsistent uh, in your behavior. Debbie, I don't know if that question makes sense. Again, yes, yes, it does. Again, again, I, I wish you could have diagrams on this podcast here. The question again alludes to that triangle that I shared. Inconsistency should come in at the bottom, biblical principles, the character, what, what Pastor Patrick there talked about, the character. In your character, you should be consistent. In your program, you can change as much as possible. Um, and, and change of program is not an indication of inconsistency. The inconsistency needs to be judged on how you have brought out that change of program. If you're using deceit, political maneuvering, manipulation today and then tomorrow, you're being genuine, that is the inconsistency. And that goes down to the character and the principle. Um, as a leader, you cannot afford, you, 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 you create a very unstable environment. Uh, people cannot know, you know, today, what is he going to do? Is it politics? Is he saying things politically? Is he being genuine? Is he being, you know, gerrymandering? Is he, what is he? That, that, that inconsistency is very destabilizing. Um, but change of program, I, I mean, you know, growth, growth entails change. Uh, change of chairs, change of how we do things, change of, you know, location, change of personnel, change of structures, that, that, should not be seen as inconsistency. And anyone who's trying to push that narrative that it's inconsistent of a leader, um, you know, there, there are those who believe, you know, for example, word of life was set on certain foundations and it needs to stay true to this foundation. For example, we should be, you know, reading the KJV Bible. We should be, you know, standing. I'm not saying that's what word of life does. And, 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 and you know, we should be dressed in a certain way, wear a tie. And so when we begin to tell people, hey, you can come with a polo shirt, they say, oh, word of life is inconsistent. I think that's a wrong way of looking at it. That is bringing program to the level of principles and character, which is wrong. Um, we need to be careful uh, not to confuse those. The program vis-a-vis -vis the principles, the biblical principles that are unchanged, you know, you know, sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel throughout the ages. Jesus Christ is the only way, is, is, is timeless. But whether we're going to use a movie, whether we're going to use tracts, whether we're going to use, you know, an app, that, that should not be an indication of inconsistency. And David, I agree with you 100%. I'm not going to say but in any way. <laughs> I do agree with you. It, it, it's okay, it's okay. I, I accept it's just it that, but as well. Mm. It, it's just that I remember before mm. you got married, um, we happened to get married a little bit earlier, and you kept mm. wondering why I wasn't holding Grace's hand. You say, you guys are not holding mm. hands. What kind of marriage is this? Of course, it was in a joking way during camp, but I've mm. never seen you hold Amanda's hand uh, when you're mm. walking. Um, mm. And I'm saying this because there are moments where program can be inconsistent when the preacher says one thing, but then we don't see him do it or we see him do another. And I've just used that example of holding hands as, mm -hmm. as, as a tiny little bit because we leaders are scrutinized in very, very um, minute ways and, and uh, 
statements are made. And then there are those who will hold hands and they're not mm. supposed to be holding hands. But just because <laughs> he gave the, the example show. of holding hands for the yes, show, for he the ends show. up holding mm. hands. Mm. We cannot deny that the program can be looked at as inconsistent in as much as we, you're talking about the mm. character. Um, but mm. yeah, how would you, don't you find it difficult that some leaders would say one thing and then justify doing another? And I, I say that to say that they always have a reason why they never did what they said they were doing. Um, and, and holding hands is an example. Uh, but there's those, those, and I think, I'm sorry to come up with a solution very quickly. I think it's still, mm. the problem is still with leaders who preach the program. They don't preach the principle. They don't teach the principle. They begin to teach the program. And those are leaders or speakers who very quickly get to one example and they give an example of their own life. For example, for me and my wife, and then you see the wife in the audience just shaking her head or saying, no, no. Uh, but yeah, David, quickly just take us through I, I, I think that. One, one, thing, one thing that we, we need to understand, um, and I like that question, uh, is I, I, I didn't marry my wife for the ministry. And so I'm not going to hold my wife's hand just because I want to show people. I'm going to hold my wife's hand when the time is there and we are able to hold hands. I'm not raising my kids for the ministry because tomorrow God may send me somewhere else. He may send me to MTN and here I am. I've busy tailored my, my wife, my children to... Um, so, uh, uh, and this is where the authenticity is. Should I hold her hand when we have quarreled, when we have fought? And is it visible that there is something... Uh, so. The moments to hold hands or to do whatever it is uh, publicly should be a genuine thing. And, and I shouldn't be boxed or box your wife um, into a ministry role. She needs to be supportive, but should not be boxed into fulfilling a certain role just because you're in ministry. Be authentic. Um, be authentic in your not holding your wife's hand. Don't not hold your wife's hand because you know, there is a certain culture that exists somewhere that is imposing certain things and you're denying your wife what she wants. Uh, give her flowers if that's, that's what she desires and that's what your heart is telling you to do. In other words, and, and, and when I address that issue, I, I think there was a cultural expectation uh, during that time because we had seen a certain picture and therefore there was an expectation of a certain picture to be played out by everyone. And, and, and I was saying, listen, if, if you desire to sit with your wife, and I think I shared this sometime in church, sit with your wife, hold hands, you know, be comfortable. Be, 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 be comfortable in your skin. Don't subscribe to this, you know, expectation that culture has placed on us. Uh, and I think that's where authenticity is. Uh, don't go kissing your, life, your wife in public just because you're the pastor and you're trying to show everyone in the church that this is what should happen when you don't even really mean the kiss. It's just tokenism and, you know, public performance. So, so, so we need to be careful. When it comes to authenticity, you know, um, I, I, was, I was sharing with a group of, of, of lawyers this, this week, and, and I was telling them, listen, we need, especially in this anxious society that expects certain things, expects, we, we need to choose the audience to which we want to play to. And, and, and there's a book that I read, The Audience of One, and that is God. When I hold my wife's hand, does God see my heart that it's a genuine handing 
holding of my hand or am I just doing it because I made a statement 20 years ago. Uh, when I decide you know, to do whatever it is, when God looks at the depth of my heart, is it a genuine thing that I am doing? Uh, even if the society is calling me to do something else. So authenticity is being real to yourself, being real to, you know, before God. And you know what? People eventually see it, David. People eventually see it. And they're able to tell that this is a real deal. I think I shared this some time back that one of my favorite books is um, a book by Thomas More. I think it's about Thomas More. It's titled A Man of All Seasons. Um, that people are able to see David is consistent in he's not holding hands or he's consistent whether you know he's in Uganda whether he's in in, in US or Rwanda he's consistent and that's what I think people are looking for and the importance of that is that it, it provides stability there's nothing as terrible as an unstable leader um, you know to, tomorrow is this tomorrow is changing that just creates chaos and um, a lack of trust. Uh, I just don't know how to relate with David. Um, today he's saying this, tomorrow is doing something else. Um, when I sit with him, who am I sitting with today? Uh, am I sitting with uh, this guy that is lovey-dovey or am I sitting with this guy who's very traditional? So be comfortable in your skin uh, before the audience of one which is God and let people see that reflected to them. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier for the interaction with you as a leader. Mm. Mm. Wow. Thank you, Devi. Thank you so much. Um, rarely do we talk about leadership on this show, but tonight has been very, very encouraging for those of you who are does. I know Pastor Patrick, you can see Joel and um, Ivan. Uh, most of them are men here, even leading your own families. I pray. And Manzi, I pray that... Uh, this has been helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies who are here. Uh, Lindsay was here at some point. I don't know if she's still on. I know she also does uh, a lot in book writing. I don't know if when the second book is coming out. I know I promised to have that book on this show, uh, uh, and we have not yet done that. I hope I'm not looked at as being inconsistent. Uh, but yeah, um, sorry about that. But again, Brian, be welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's been great to have you. Those of you who have participated, Joe, it's been a very, very great discussion. Devi, thank you uh, for being vulnerable uh, with us um, and, and, yeah, taking all these very difficult questions. And I know leading an organization where there's more than 20 employees can be difficult, and yet um, God is the one that makes leaders. Uh, I did like this, someone that you preached today, uh, talking about the Lord being our shepherd. And... Uh, it's it's just him who leads us in, in in places when we are stuck. He's he's always there, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, "I'll be with you. I'll fear no evil, for you are uh, with me." And those moments can come even as uh, for a leader. Um, it, it's 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 very very possible. I don't want to give uh, uh, particular examples, but those moments come with difficult moments where you think the world has literally turned against you. And death is coming, and and God is always there. God is always there. But thank you for reminding us. I know you were trying to say something, David, as we come to let the end me, of our yeah, show. Let me say yeah. something. You know, um, the 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 era of an expert leader stopped mm. a long time ago. That was in the industrial era, where things were predictable. You knew the machines are going to do this. Right now, we live in 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 a time where 
a good leader is an ardent student you're constantly mm. studying your environment you're constantly you know studying the people that you have you're constantly you know on the move there's no there's no expert in leadership now and anyone who purports to be an expert in leadership you need to laugh at them there is no you know accomplished leader i am constantly learning i am constantly having to keep up with, with what's going on constantly getting in touch with god constantly you know so a good leader right now is an ardent student one who knows nothing and one that is willing to learn um, and, and 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 find out how they can lead people to god's agenda for today and for tomorrow